Paul's final letter, written from a Roman dungeon. He is going to be beheaded. We don't know how long the time was between the writing of this letter and his final, his final martyrdom. But it's interesting, and of course he's guided by the Holy Spirit, but it's interesting, we are so focused in history. Very often, one of the questions that is asked about men and women of renown is, what were their last words? What were their final words? Because there is a tendency amongst human beings, when we are coming to the end of life, walking this planet, before we entered the presence of either the Lord Jesus Christ or a cast into torments, depending on whether you repented or not. Final words are words that get the attention of people. Because we tend to sweep away all the stuff that was distracting and focus on what is necessary. And in fact, I would suggest that one of the best studies any new disciple can do is the study of this letter. Because it is, as far as our contact with Paul, our exposure, it is his final word to us. It was his final word to Timothy, but it's also his final word to us. And when that happens, things get pared down. And what has the Holy Spirit been saying through Paul? Pay attention to this book. All Scripture. He closes chapter 3 with these words. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Is God-breathed. God-breathed whispered out by God through into the pens and then through the pens and into our ears. All Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine. Do you want to know what the truth is? I'll tell you the truth. For doctrine, for reproof. Well, when we creatures who by our very nature, apart from the work of God, the Holy Spirit, tend to go off course in any manner of ways. What do we need? We need reproof. We need fixing. We need to reset our sail. We need to move the tiller so that we're moving in the right direction for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. Has God ever... I tell you what, folks, I've had instances in my life where I've been reading something in the Word of God, and I recoil, and I say, no. And the Holy Spirit has just reached off the page and smacked me. (laughs) Doctrine for reproof, for correction. It's not enough just to be reproved. Now that you know what you're doing wrong, let's fix it. And he gives us the energy to fix this. I love the fact that Christianity is not, does not have to be a study in frustration. It does not have to be a study in frustration. A beautiful illustration of this, by the way, is found in one of the most powerful lives that was changed by the power of the gospel. There was a fellow 503 years ago 
who is an Augustinian monk, a German fellow, by the name of Martin Luther. Augustinian monk who is so adamant about the rituals, about the rules of that monastery, that even the head of the monastery, there came a point where the head of the monastery said, Martin, you need to lighten up. He fasted and did so much food discipline, he actually messed up his digestive system for the rest of his life. He went to Rome in a pilgrimage. He goes up the stone steps of this cathedral. He gets to the top of the steps with his bloody knees, and he later said the thought went through his mind. I've been, make, I've been punishing myself for my sins. I wonder if this really works. What was happening was God was setting him up for the truth. When he got back to Germany, the head of the monastery said, Hey, Martin, I've got an idea. Why don't you study the book of Romans for us and then turn around and teach the rest of us here in the monastery its contents? And so Martin Luther read, studied Romans, and he was shocked. It wasn't what he had been taught. It was Jesus, God the Son, become flesh, which he already knew that was true, that Jesus, God, become flesh, had actually become the sacrifice for us placed on the cross. He had borne sin's penalty for the entire human race so that Jesus could say it is finished, it is paid in full, I paid off the sin debt of the human race and all you have to do to benefit from that is accept the benefit. Say, may I please? And God will 100% of the time say yes. He repented. It changed his outlook It also changed his choices, and he lived the rest of his life always having to be guarded. Thankfully, God had provided to him uh, barons and dukes and princes who who heard the message, too, that offered him, I'm talking about physical protection. But the word went out, the gospel word went out in the what we call the Protestant Reformation, an explosion of gospel truth went out. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God as God breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness so that we know not only what paths not to walk on, we only not only know how to, we not only know what paths not to walk on, we learn how to walk on the right path, that the man of God may be completely equipped to every good work so that even the things that we couldn't even imagine ourselves doing formerly, we are enabled by God to do. We are enabled to do them. And much, honestly, much to our own shock, 
much to her own. I'm looking forward to the next testimony I can hear from Faith. And she says, oh, let me tell you, that Thanksgiving dinner, I didn't know how to, how to I, I, I. it turned out great. Well, this God does the same thing with where we like just the testimony we had about what happened in Corpus Christi. Were there events that you witnessed, Darren, and others who went there in Corpus Christi that you're stepping back and saying, that was Jesus. That wasn't me. That was Jesus. That was that. Do you want to have a that was Jesus life? You bet you do. Because the day is coming when you will stand before Jesus and only the that was Jesus events will matter to you. Not what house you lived in, not what car you drove, what not wardrobe you had. None of those things will matter except what Jesus did through you. In the apostle, let me pick up with where we concluded last time, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Having said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, is God breathed. He then goes on and says, I charge you therefore, Timothy, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Do for others what I have done for you and what is the only remedy that has ever mattered to you. Preach the word. Put the word in them. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season when it is convenient and when it is inconvenient. Convince. Offer evidence. Offer proof. Offer logic. There's nothing wrong with those things. They're reflections of God. God answers reasonable questions with reasonable answers. Convince. Rebuke. Exhort. With all long-suffering, ouch. Do it even when you don't want to do it. Even if it puts you in danger of a job loss or losing a friendship or actual physical harm. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Do it systematically, consistently, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires... Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful. And Paul has already named names in this letter of people who have done that very thing. And he's not done yet, by the way. He's going to name some more names. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, keep gospeling people, fulfill your ministry. For I, Paul, am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. What was a drink offering? Well, principally, especially if you were uh, in agriculture and your principal 
uh, means of income was you had a vineyard. When the first of the grapes ripened, the, grape, the wine grapes ripened, you would take that harvest, about 10% of your harvest, and you would take it, you would create the wine, the grape juice that would later become wine. You would take this, and you would take it down to the tabernacle or later the temple, and you would go in, and here is the altar of burnt incense. And you would pour it out on the ground before God. I can remember as a teenager the first time I read of doing that. The thought went through, flashed through my mind, what a waste. And as I already mentioned, <laughs> this event happening more than once, the Holy Spirit reached off the page and went, smack, smack! You knucklehead! That's the only part of the harvest that had of an eternal reward! Why? Because you poured it out to God. God doesn't lose anything. It's all treasured up. (laughs) Everything else was just drunk, and you know what happens next. You can't give something to God that he doesn't treasure and pay you back for at when you stand before him. I am already being poured out as a drink offering. People, look at me. Saul of Tarsus, Pharisee, son of a wealthy man. You couldn't be a Pharisee. He was sent by, unless your daddy was wealthy, and he sent you to Jerusalem to be trained. He had had the estate in Tarsus, son of a wealthy man. And what is he doing? I am being poured out as a drink offering. And most of the people in the Roman world would look at Paul and say, what a knucklehead, what a waste. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The world says it is a waste, but it is anything but. We're still reading. I don't know if we even have any writings of Nero. (laughs) Who's reading his stuff? Who would care to? We're still studying Paul's letters. I'm being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I'm ready. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. If you run a race and you lay down at the side of the track with the finish line in sight, I don't care how long that race was. I don't care how You don't do that. You press through the tape. You press, and Paul is pressing through the tape. He's serving, 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 serving to his last breath. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. He's not bragging. But he can look back on his life and honestly say, I've done what Jesus called me to do, what he asked me to do. Now, he needed some encouragement along the way. I just remember that wonderful fellow Barnabas, son of encouragement. Barnabas, 
When Paul came back to Jerusalem, having been the leading persecutor of the church, he came back to the Jerusalem and he's telling folks, hey, I've become a follower of Jesus, I've become a follower of Jesus. And the leaders of the Jerusalem church are like, <clears throat> really? Uh, uh, and they were not willing to meet with this fellow Saul of Tarsus. Until this fellow, son of encouragement, that's what Barnabas means, and that was a name given to him, sought out Paul, sat down with him. Yeah, this guy is authentic, and he brought him to the Jerusalem church leaders, and they heard what he had to say, and they embraced him. And then, over the course of time, Paul went back to Tarsus and sat there at the family estate for about 14 years until Barnabas, son of encouragement, up in Antioch of Syria, where there was a gospel explosion going on, sent word to Paul, come on up here, we need you. And that was actually the beginning of his public ministry. He needed that encouragement. But he, once he got going, he pressed on, he pressed on, he pressed on. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I did not back down on anything that was authentic gospel truth. I have kept the faith. And what was it that the opposition against Paul was trying to get him to do? Why don't you just modify this? Why don't you just play this down? No, I will keep telling the truth, come what may. And by the way, what may come is all in the hands of my God. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Well done, you good and faithful servant. That's what righteous, a righteous life is. It's a well done life. It's a life that Jesus can greet with that expression when we step into his presence. Well done, you good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I will make you and we might say, Paul might say, a few things? Yeah. Compared to me, yeah. <laughs> I'll make you ruler over many. The reward will far outstrip what we contributed. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, he doesn't lose track. He isn't unfair. He is righteous, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Hmm. Loved his appearing. Loved his appearing. What is this love his appearing business? Well, if you expect that Jesus may come and yank you out of your shoes at any moment, how are you going to relate to the things of this world and the enticements of this world? Very loosely. <laughs> You're not going to become attached to them because your love for an expectation of his coming 
will alter how you value those things that the world holds up that you know are going to disappear. This world is passing away and the lust of it and all of the desires attached to it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Be diligent. He's writing this letter to Timothy. He doesn't know exactly what's going to happen day to day to day to day. He knows what his God is like. He knows his God is trustworthy. We don't know if Timothy ever made it to Rome in time to do the things that Paul is asking him to do. Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me. Paul has already renounced other people in this letter. And here is this fellow Demas, a disciple, except not the sort of disciple he should have been. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. Now, he is not being critical of the next fellows. Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark, the nephew of Barnabas, the very fellow that Barnabas and Paul separated their ministries because that fellow Mark would be, who left us when we were in the middle of our first missionary journey, I don't want to bring him along. And Barnabas said, oh, yes, he's my nephew, and I really think that... And, of course, now he's saying of Mark, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. So Paul was humble enough to be able to say that fellow that I wrote him off formerly... No, he's useful. He's useful. Don't ever assign yourself the task of writing somebody off. Now, there are some people that you will have to temporarily maybe step away from. But when Jesus restores them, be willing to admit. Don't let your pride get in the way. So Paul's humility is on display here when he says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. And Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parts. He doesn't know how long he's going to be sitting in, there in that dungeon, and it's apparently winter's coming on, and even an Italian winter is colder than the summer. And so please bring the cloak that I left and the books, especially the parchments. By the way, the parchments are the expensive ones. Papyrus was the paper stuff made from papyrus reeds. Parchment was made from animal hides. They were the really expensive. <laughs> Bring my best books with you. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. Probably, this is a fellow who actually made a living making idols out of copper. 
And, and the idol makers were always in opposition to Paul because that's how they made a living, and he was a threat to their livelihood. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. May the Lord repay him. What's, by the way, this, is, this may shock you. This is what actual biblical forgiveness looks like. And I'm referring here to the close of Romans chapter 12, where Paul says we are to forgive people, which means, Lord, I'm giving all right for retribution to the people who have harmed me. I'm giving all right for retribution to you. I'm washing my hands of any right for retribution. And so you say to this fellow, I am never going to strike you back. I'm never going to strike you back. But I've handed you off to God. See you later. Oh, uh, 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 wait, 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 what, what, what? <laughs> oh, yeah. If you want to escape judgment for what you did, you better cry out to God, which is a good thing to do. It's a good thing to do. G Peter denied Jesus three times. But he had a repentant spirit, and Jesus restored him. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has, been, for he has greatly resisted our words. This is a fellow who's local with Timothy. At my first defense, talking about when I, the first time I walked before Nero, the first time I stepped before Nero, and Paul is a Roman citizen appealing to the emperor, he's brought before Nero. This is the second time, by the way, he's appeared before the emperor. At my first defense, no one stood with me. I'm here in Rome. There is a church at Rome. In fact, there are several congregations here in Rome. And when I stood before Nero... Apparently, any fellow in the town that wanted to join me and stand shoulder to shoulder with me and testify for me and with me uh, could have done so, and, uh, and they all had something better to do that day. Wow. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But... The Lord stood with me. Oh, I wasn't by myself. Standing right there with me was the Lord himself. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. He enabled me. He gave me that spirit energy so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles, including the emperor, might hear the gospel. The most hidden hard-to-access people in any country or empire of the political elites. And here he is standing before Nero, who is, in fact, demanding worship of him. And Paul is saying, no, I will not worship you, but I will, let me tell you who you should worship. This is not the sort of thing Nero was used to hearing. The Lord stood with me. so that all the Gentiles, including the emperor, might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. The immediate threat was removed. 
So one day at a time, one day at a time, one day at a time, that immediate, and by the way, that may be literal. There may have been an actual threat of throwing him to the lions in the Roman Colosseum. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. Wait a minute, Paul. You're going to get beheaded. What do you mean, deliver you from every evil work? Well, what is the intention of Nero? We're going to chop this guy's head off, and that's going to be the end of this? No, it caused another gospel explosion. It caused another gospel explosion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work. Nero's intentions were completely frustrated. And as I said at the beginning of this message, here we are studying a letter from the Apostle Paul. As far as I know, there aren't any scholars studying the writings of Nero, if there even are any. So who actually came out of this better? And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. May all the glory be his. And when Paul was beheaded, he was instantly embraced by Jesus. And he became a testimony. He would not back down. I I would dare say that those Roman executioners heard a lot of confessions, a lot of pleading from people who were willing to say or do anything to escape their execution. Not Paul. Greet Prisca and Aquila. These are the, this is the couple that he made tents with, also known as Priscilla and Aquila, and the whole household of Onesiphorus. This is the fellow he's already mentioned earlier in the letter, who sought him out and served his needs at a former time. Apparently, he's already entered the presence of the Lord because Paul is saying, Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miletus sick. Do your utmost to come before winter. So here I have my daily needs, and I really seek, I really covet your fellowship, the strength that you bring to me when, I'm, when we're together. Dear, you're utmost to come before winter. Eubulus greets you, as well as Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the close of a letter. And it's very easy for us, just like we close a letter with truly yours or sincerely yours or whatever, and then our signature, it's very easy for us to just slide by this, but we must not. Because Paul is really citing the most critical core thing for any of us. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The Lord stood with me, he said, as I stood in Nero's presence. Well, could Nero see Jesus? No. But Jesus was there strengthening Paul's spirit to keep telling the truth no matter how hostile the environment. And so he says to Timothy, the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. 
grace, provision. Again, it's easy for us to slide by these words, but they have meaning to us today. Why? Because Christianity is true. Grace be with you. God's constant provision be with you. Amen. May it be so. May it be so. Let's pray together. Our Lord, the Holy Spirit has spoken to us. We ask that our spirits too would be strengthened by him as he reminds us of his words, his promises, his presence. That we might be useful instruments in your hands. We are asking that God, the Holy Spirit, and you, our Lord Jesus Christ, would be with us to strengthen us and that your grace, your provision might abound in our lives. May it be so for us. And that is our prayer to you, just as the apostle prayed for Timothy. We pray that for ourselves in your name, and you indeed are present with us right now to hear our prayer. And you're more eager to answer it than we are to pray it. We give you thanks for that. In your name, Shepherd Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen.